This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit on 7 to 9 a.m. Visit us on www.kpulpit.co.za. Last week we spoke to Helene Lambrechts, an up-and-about vivacious lady who climbed the Kilimanjaro a few years ago in a, in a later decade of her life, shall I say. As a single, she has come to know the importance of being able to share her heart in safe spaces. Yeah, and uh, she also testified about the effectiveness of the serenity prayer and the 12-step group uh, that is Christ-centered. And the 12 steps are commonly used globally and how the 12 steps helped her in her spiritual growth. Make sure that you listen to the podcast if you are for this inspiring story and, and how she has interacted. And if you had possibly missed it uh, last week. So um, this week we are going to be stalking to uh, Nikki. Hi, Nikki. It's uh, welcome. We're so happy to have you with us. Eliane shared with us as a single. Uh, that was her mission to share from a single's perspective. But we didn't ask you to specifically share as a couple. But anyway, <laughs> I know you're married. But welcome. We're so happy to have you. Thank you, Sophie, and thank you, Frederick, for inviting me. Mm. Nikki has been in recovery for a few years already, and I got to know her at a group where I have the opportunity on a weekly basis to share with her and others in a safe space. Nikki, how has safe groups helped you? Um, well, firstly, I think I grew up not really sharing anything with any of our family members. It was just the way we were. Um, so I found it very difficult to actually speak to people just, just, just from the outset. Um, and then it was also very difficult when I was in addiction to actually trust people. Um, and in the fear of being labeled or um, feeling so guilty and shameful about what, what has happened and what has transpired. And only when I came into recovery and, and became part of, with a help group, that I actually realized that sharing is a huge way of, of unburdening yourself and actually allowing yourself to dig deep and get into those little recesses that you've long forgotten. And then finally, just trusting that other people are not actually going to use your information. Um, they're not going to go gossip about me. And they weren't going to use this information in any way. To, to hurt me, which I'd always feared. I always thought, you know, if, if you know who I am, if I share my story with you, you're not going to like me or mm. you, you're going to um, use something against me. And being in a safe group, you just know that that's not going to happen. And that really, really helps the process of learning how to trust others and actually, as I said, dig deep, unburden yourself and just let it go. Mm. Sure, thank you so much, um, Nikki. It's so important what you are saying. Um, I heard you were talking about an addiction and uh, that you couldn't share about your feelings and your thoughts uh, in your family of origin. Um, could you give us just a little a quick background of, of your story? What, is, what happened in your life that you got to the point where you, where you mentioned that you had an addiction? Um, 
I came into recovery about 15 years ago, the ripe old age of 35. Um, I was a late comer, but I was certainly not a late starter. My eating disorder kicked in when I was about 15 or 16. Um, and then I, that led into the addiction to alcohol. Um, but at least these were the two diseases that were identified. Um, mm. These were the two that I needed to treat because they were literally going to kill me. Um, my eating disorder started out as anorexia, um, which then progressed into bulimia. Mm. And then once I had discovered how alcohol could numb my feelings, mm. I kind of switched and I switched between the two. My eating disorder never really disappeared. Um, but I would act out with food whenever I tried to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. So if I was having a dry patch of my drinking, um, then I would use food um, and my control over food to, to numb my feelings and to, to you know, hide from anything that I wasn't um, wanting to face. Mm-hmm. As I listen to you, I can clearly hear we often talk about cross addictions. And so mm-hmm. often uh, when one when a person stops with a certain addiction, it goes over into something else. And I can hear that clearly when I listen to you. And I think many of our listeners can identify with that. Um, even me in some situations, when I try and stop the one thing, I've, I realize I start eating more or I, I crave sweet things or something like that. And I don't have an active oh. eating di- di- disorder or addiction with, with food. But I, I do see those propensities in my life very clearly. So I can, I can totally relate with what you're saying. Um, but it's a long, it's, it sounds like it's been a long history in your life. So, can you tell us about recovery? We always use this word recovery. I think in Christian circles, we talk more about restoration. And then right. in this program, we also we use the word recovery. So explain to us, how do you see recovery and um, how does it relate with restoration? Yeah, Nikki, thank you very much for sharing. Um, you know, coming into a restoration journey is very, very important. And But before we go into how you came into recovery, um, what made you start a journey of of recovery and restoration? I was basically they call it rock bottom. Mm-hmm. I think I, uh, I I thought I'd reached rock bottom several times before, but there's always that one that one rock bottom that really turns you around. And mm. I had gotten to the point where I had virtually lost everything. Uh, my marriage had collapsed. I basically had no ability to stay in a job. Therefore, I couldn't earn a salary. I couldn't earn a car. I couldn't pay for rent. Um, my family were looking after me, um, but they eventually disowned me. You know, because they they were staying sick themselves, mm. um, and they couldn't watch me basically commit suicide before their very eyes. Mm. Um, so I had nothing left, and I was kind of told to leave and and very, very difficult for my for my parents. But I had a suitcase full of clothes and I got on the bus and I went to the one friend who kind of knew my story who was willing to help me here in Cape Town and tried to do it on my own. But eventually, you know, you you, you can't leave yourself behind. Wherever you go, there you are. And a new location for me in this instance wasn't going to help. Mm. 
And then I decided I had to go into rehab. There was actually no option. Mm. Um, It sounds like you couldn't fix yourself. You thought a new location would do it, but it didn't really do the trick. Absolutely. No, it was not going to work. Mm. There was was just too many many new worries and too many new anxieties um, in, in a new place. Mm-hmm. So it was it was very difficult to. It, it was exciting on the one hand, but it, it certainly wasn't something that I could cope with. And I also believe that could pull the wool over people's eyes. You know, mm. you go to a new place, you think, well, nobody knows me here, and mm. I can carry on as I want to. But mm. it also just snowballs and it spirals out of control eventually. So you say you booked yourself into a a, rec- a, a place of recovery. I did, yes. Together with my friend and um, some, I've got a, uh, what do you call it, a, my godparents are here in Cape Town. And we decided that it was the only option. And I went into the primary primary phase, which is the three weeks, 21 days. And then I opted myself to stay on to the secondary rehab. And then I just took it on a month-to-month basis until I felt I was ready to exit into the world. And very luckily, I had some. I'd made some very good friends in that centre, and we decided to do a house share, mm. um, a recovering house share, where we had certain rules and regulations and routines that we all had to follow. That sounds and ideal. How did it work? It it, mm, <laughs> um, it worked to a point. Um, we did stick to the rules, and we had a counsellor who visited us every now and then, and we had. Um, meetings but you know when you get back into the real world there's a lot of things that one isn't really prepared for Mm. and I had a a housemate who developed an eating order that was that contradiction happened after treatment Mm. and I had been in treatment for uh, eating disorder and it was really hard for me to watch somebody act out their eating disorder in front of me when I was in recovery for it. Mm. Basically like somebody drinking in front of an alcoholic. Mm. So I landed up by, by really being a lot, very stressed out about that. Mm. And it, 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 but it worked for a while. I mean, we were 18 months in the same house. and um, But eventually time just also, the Lord opened doors and, and I was able to move out and, and go on my own. So mm. it, was, it was a very key part of of, you know, going back out into the world, as it were. Mm. Uh, Nikki, it sounds to me that uh, the the commune that you guys were sharing um, created a reasonably safe space, but it didn't uh, encourage or it didn't help you very much in your restoration and recovery journey. So uh, what did you, what was your next step to uh, continue on your recovery journey? Uh, what type of groups were you able to join that are safe, safe spaces? Um, well, at the time, we were very much encouraged to go to the other 12-step programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a member of AA, most, most importantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so were our, my, my friends and and fellow housemates. So I had a good network, um, mostly just between my AA meetings and my, my sponsor, you know, having one-on-one meetings with my mm. sponsor and temporary.
infant one-on-one. Those were very safe spaces to mm. be able to work through stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you say you were going to AA, and that can create a very safe space. And w- was there another group that you attended? Was it just the AA group? No, nothing else. Um, I landed up by actually moving away from AA. Um, not because I didn't believe in, in the 12-step program. Um, first of all, I did move locations, so it was a little bit more difficult for me to get to new things. But although that should not be ever, ever be an excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that I was getting a little bit upset by the fact that people were um, anti-God, as it were. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are in the room and they have their higher power as um, all sorts of different crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. So you struggled with also, that. Yeah, and I also found that you know we were meeting in church buildings and for me that was great. It was good. Mm. But I didn't appreciate the way people, some people, spoke about the church um, and in a very negative way. And okay. I think it was just a prompting from the Lord that I needed to to move away from something that was upsetting me and that I, I wasn't going to get help with in, in that regard. Okay, thank you. Let's just leave it there for a moment. We're going to listen to some music and then we'll talk more after the break. Thank you. Sure, thank you very much and uh, welcome back and uh, welcome back to Nikki as well. Nikki, you were saying that um, you felt uncomfortable with the, with the AA 12-step group because of your, um, your view and your value of being a Christ follower, a Christian. Um, tell, me, um, tell us a little bit about how did your recovery journey influence your relationship with the Lord? Right, I I landed up by um, becoming a lot more aware of the importance of God in my life mm. and Jesus as my Savior. And I found it quite difficult to not acknowledge that openly all the time. It was it was absolutely paramount to me to be able to acknowledge Jesus as my Savior and my healer. So I think um, the restoration from that was that I re- he rec- the Lord recognized my willingness to, to speak out for him, and I felt so much more restored, a stronger relationship with him, a stronger relationship with the people in my church, um, and it was very important for me to just stay focused as, a, as it was it had to be a Christ recovery program mm. for me. Mm. How has it helped you in other ways, the recovery, in other parts of your life? Well, a lot of my relationships have healed. Um, there was a, a time when I basically had nobody left. Um, relationships that really fell apart the worst was with family, and, and that was... Um, a, a, a massive, it was a huge miracle to have those restored. Obviously, I could function uh, properly in, in a society. I suddenly had options to, 
to work and to do things and never have to fear that I was going to relapse or never fear that I was going to not be able to to work or function normally. So it was great to be able to get on with my life as you know, as Christ intended it. Mm. Um, but also to feel the freedom and the serenity that both came with um Jesus' restoration in my life. It's so interesting because in this program we always we, we talk about intimacy a lot and we say it's with yourself, God and others. And as you're talking here, I can hear how your intimacy with yourself changed as in your recovery process with God changed as you described the serenity and also with others. Eh? So it's literally as we become honest and see the world as it is, see the reality, because part of the addiction, as you know, is to actually escape the reality um, and to embrace that reality and to declare our powerlessness, how God comes in and and how it changes our lives. Wow, that's been beautiful to hear that. Mm. Oh, thank you, Nikki. Uh, and, um, you know, w- what I was thinking also while you were sharing, these things and the changes in the relationship don't happen overnight. Uh, one needs a place where you can actually practice how to relate to yourself, to God and to other people. And for that, we need a safe space. Um, so where did you practice your uh, in- improve relationships? What safe space were you able to find? Well, my newest um, place, safe space, is the Celebrate Recovery Group. Mm-hmm. Person when I first started, and now it's, it's in Zoom meetings, but it still has remained a safe space. And what do you describe, how do you describe a safe group? A safe group is somewhere where you know that anonymity is absolutely paramount. It's mm. the first and foremost thing that you have to understand that nothing um, will go out of the room. You know, I just one when we share our stories with one another, that nobody will repeat it to anybody else outside of that group or outside of that room. Um, so you feel like you can unburden yourself and tell your deepest, darkest secrets and and nobody's going to take that information and go somewhere else. Mm. And you also feel safe in that other people start trusting you with their stories. Mm. Um, and you can listen and, you know, be a, an ear for them to, to unburden themselves as well. And we all feel equally vulnerable, but also equally um, happy with the process that takes place there. So what I hear is confidentiality and anonymity. And at the same time, I guess people will not give you advice or start trying to help you and fix you with your in, in the problems that you're struggling with. Yes, I think, well, there are different different groups. Obviously, in, in the rehab centers where you're in your safe spaces, uh, you're in your, your therapy group, where there is a certain amount of challenging um perhaps not giving advice, but sort of questions aimed at you to, to rethink your strategy or rethink your, your processes. But in the in the share groups uh, with CR and AA, it's not like that at all. You don't get advice. Um, but it is just a good place to, to identify with others and perhaps that also encourages you to open up. Uh, it might trigger 
um, something, a memory that you can say, oh, for gosh, I'd forgotten about that. Mm-hmm. And I can hear somebody else's story and it'll encourage them to tell more of my own. So there seems to be uh, a quite a big difference, Nikki, between a therapy group and a 12-step group. And uh, in 12-step groups, they have a guideline. Each 12-step group, no matter what fellowship or what group you're in, have certain guidelines. And you've described some of those with us. So Celebrate Recovery um, groups have the same guidelines or similar guidelines to other uh, groups like uh, AA. So what would you say is the difference between the Celebrate Recovery groups and other 12-step groups? I perceive it as being a group where people can come together with all the different kinds of habits, mm-hmm. uh, addictions, hurts, um, whereas obviously AA is alcohol-related, mm. NA is narcotics-related, mm. uh, CODA is codependency-related. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I have appreciated about a CR group is that I am learning so much more about what other people suffer from. Mm. Having a physical addiction is, one, very easy to detect and quite a lot easier probably to treat in some regards. Whereas um, behavioral things are not so easy to identify and to treat. And it's been amazing for me to be able to learn um, how, how these hang-ups and these hurts that people are suffering from and have also destroyed their lives. And it's also made me a bit more introspective about um, being totally honest with myself. Mm. You know, something like codependency was something I might not have considered while I was attending AA. Mm-hmm. But now I'm looking at it with a new set of, you know, eyes and saying, wow, this is, this is really something that I might actually be able to work with in myself. Mm. So that, that for me, that's the main reason that really has, has it's all and any so, to hang up and have it. Yes, yeah, so that is a big difference, right? Because the 12-step recovery groups are specifically for people with addictions. And it's so interesting because I heard before that people said, I wish, you know, it sounds stupid, but I wish I could have an addiction that I could be in one of those 12-step groups because I don't <laughs> have a specific addiction. So, and, But I hear my friend is in it and they talk about it all the time. But I do think the other difference, the very big difference that you mentioned before that I also just want to emphasize is that the CR, the Celebrate Recovery, is Christ-centered, right? Absolutely. I didn't mention that. But yeah, that's yeah, but you said one, that... One major focus. Yeah, you already talked a lot about that in the beginning of our talk. Thank you so much, Nikki. It's been such a pleasure to listen to you. And this program, we talk to different people from different angles and different kinds of recovery um, programs. And uh, it's just great to hear your experience. Thank you for being so vulnerable with us. Yeah, thank you very much for sharing with us, Nikki. And um, thank you very much, listeners, for tuning in again. So hopefully we'll see you again soon. And listeners, please remember, send your comments, remarks, questions to frederiksuki at kpulpit.co.za. Remember, Frederick Suki, one word. Afrikaans spelling Frederik Suki, S-O-E-K-I-E at kpulpit, one word, dot co, dot za. Till next time. God bless. This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit on 729 AM. Visit us on www.kpulpit.co.za.